Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, a whiteboard special. With there being no games over the weekend, we thought this was a good opportunity to assess our start to the season, have a little look at a couple of our key players, answer some of your questions and finally wrap it up with a look ahead to the rest of this season. My name is Dan Cook and I will be your host today. I'm joined by my partner in crime, dialing in for the first time since his move to Canada. That's right. Fulhamish has gone transatlantic. It's Professor Ben Jarman. Hello, Ben. How are we? Hello, Dan. I'm very good, thank you. Um, it's really nice to be on here with you again. It's been a long time coming, I think. I've been out in Canada now for just over two months, um, and I've really been missing our, our little chats about Fulham and tactics and just, you know, shooting the breeze. It's been a, it's been a long time coming. It has. It's a pleasure to be reunited. You enjoying Canada so far? I really am. I'm in Vancouver, so I'm on the the west coast of Canada. Uh, it's very relaxed over here. We have been incredibly lucky with the weather, and I think only today has there now been some clouds coming. But that is actually not a cloud. It's smoke from a fire in uh, Chilliwack, which is just down the road from us. Um, so Vancouver is currently covered in smoke. Um, but yeah, it's been great. And uh, I have put on about a stone and a half since I've been here because the food is incredible. Have you have you been having poutine? Has that been a, a fixture? Poutine is a fixture, yeah. And Caesar, um, which is their their version of Bloody Mary, which is instead of tomato juice, they have a very weird concoction called clamato, which is clam juice and tomato juice. Um, so it gives a Bloody Mary a little bit more of a of a fishy kick, but it's it's quite nice, it's decent. <laughs> I am not sure I approve, but to each their own charms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, and, my, the sporting ventures over here are also good. There's baseball on every single day, all day, every day. And uh, this coming Wednesday, I'm going to see the Vancouver Whitecaps against LA Galaxy. So I'll be watching the Ricky Pooch versus Ryan Gould uh, Titan showdown. Oh, the, the absolute playmaker showdown. Love that. Let's uh, let's get straight into it. I mean, as Sammy said on the the previous pod, if you were to use one word to describe our season so far, it would be solid. Two wins, two draws, two losses, goal difference of zero. I mean, it's been a very promising start. We've had a pretty tricky opening set of fixtures. You know, playing some some teams who have started strongly and some just traditionally strong Premier League sides. I guess before we dig a little bit deeper into our tactics, just some thoughts from you, Ben, seeing this is your first pod of the season on how you think we've started this season. I think there's signs of encouragement all the way through this team. We've started incredibly well this season. And as you said, we've traditionally played or played some of the traditionally big, bigger boys. Um, the Arsenal game in particular, I thought we held our own for large periods of the game. Perhaps a couple of tactical changes or substitutions earlier on in that game could have held it in our favour. 
And I think uh, the, the game against Spurs, again, signs of encouragement there. I think Spurs were probably a little bit more on top of us than Arsenal were. And I actually think Spurs are, could be dark horses for the title this year if they manage to keep up their rich vein of form. But the wins we've had have been completely very impressive. Uh, the one against Brighton, I thought, you know, there were some shaky periods, but Fulham managed to get that over the line. And the one against Brentford, I think, underlined our character because that could well have been the Brighton game from the first uh, first year back in the Premier League where we threw it away and then our season declined so heavily. I think Fulham show a lot more character. They're more robust this year. They definitely have a tactical plan. And I think that towards the end of last season, if I was going to be cynical, I thought teams walked through it a little bit more. And I was scared of that. Maybe a little bit of PTSD from the previous ventures into the <laughs> Premier League. But um, this time around, feel like very confident that we're going to be able to stay up. And we're nearly a third of our way to a points total that guarantees us Premier League survival. So, yeah, it's all looking good. Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that's a, the, a key point. We were talking about this before we started recording. And I think it's something that's going to take up a, a fair chunk of this podcast is just how, yeah, as you say, at the end of last season, things weren't great we were playing very nice football as, as we did throughout the whole season but we started to see some problems creeping in in terms of being sort of in trouble when teams were looking to, to counter us winning the ball high up the pitch and just being prone to being caught in transitions however this season it's very felt it's it's felt like we flipped that completely and actually now we're the team that are causing these problems in transitions and are looking very solid defensively and then looking to counter teams when we get the opportunity. So you know, how, how have you seen that adaptation? I, I know you like it, so I'd just like to hear a little bit more from you about it. It's a remarkable flip from playing one style of football to another. It's almost about doing a 180, isn't it? It's almost what Burnley have done you know, in, in swapping with us, going back down to the championship now holding that possession, whereas last year they didn't want possession at all. They were trying to be solid. And I'm not I'm not comparing Fulham to Burnley in any way, shape or form because I simply think that we're a better footballing side and we still have the ability to create lots of chances. But what I do admire is the fact that we've been able to stray away from a principle that we had last season into a completely different principle this season and still make it work for us with a group of players that is largely the same. I think also... The uh, for people who have been listening to Fulhamish for a long time, you would have listened to me and Jack bang on about transitions for a hell of a long time. And I think it's something Fulham never, ever did well in the Premier League. And I think that they didn't have to do it in the Championship, mainly because, firstly, the decision-making in the Championship is, is quite terrible. And secondly, that teams tend to sit off Fulham when we played in the Championship. But this year... I think transitionally, we've been brilliant. We've been able to switch and flip the play from back to forward very quickly. And we'll come into this later on with our passing stats and and the, and the way we're playing football. But yeah, I've loved this, this different outlook on the game, being, being solid in midfield, having that guy in there as a destroyer, which is Joao Palinha. I've, everyone is absolutely in love with this guy. He's the bargain signing of the summer. And I, I'm absolutely amazed that he didn't end up somewhere or where else and I think all for the better for us because this is going to be a guy that's going to be a linchpin of the team and if when we do survive I think a lot of it will be down to him and the partnership he's formed with Harrison Reed. but I think also that one of the big things about this team is that there's so much potential because a lot of the wide players that we brought in last season and one of our most focal points Harry Wilson still hasn't featured for us and we're still managing to pull out results 
without the without him, without Manuel Solomon, we're seeing you know the likes of Bobby Decord over Reeve again improve his worth because this guy is a Swiss Army knife. Um, he's been great. Neeskins has really picked it up, and I'm probably one of Neeskins' harshest critics on this podcast. To be honest, I thought he would have gone a long time ago, but he's been great. So yeah, I'm really positive about this team. To be honest. Yeah, I mean, I completely echo all of that. And, and and particularly, I think one of the big things that's always important at the moment to take into perspective is the fact that we aren't full strength. And yeah, as, as good as as Bobby and Neeskins have, have been, there's no doubt in my mind that we've got two better wingers in Harry Wilson and Manor Solomon waiting to come into this team. And I think that only means that we can improve, you know, even from this great start. There's there's only one way I think we can go with bringing those two players into this side. And then you also have the sort of the different dimension that Dan James might be able to bring to this side. So I think it's, it's really yeah. interesting where we can go. Yeah, and we haven't even spoken about William, which I think a lot of people will say it's probably a bit of a strange signing. And I'm still trying to work out what he's going to bring other than depth, but get someone of that experience in. And you look at his time at Chelsea and he was a problem. For a long time, the guy is incredible on set pieces. And when you have a team as as big as we are now, in comparison to last year, you know that that become he becomes immediately a threat. And yeah, he's probably a little bit out of shape, and, and probably in fairness has been since his Arsenal days. But if we get him up to speed, I think he presents a an interesting addition to the the squad. Definitely. I, I don't think there's any real downside in bringing him in. I think it's a, a fairly risk-free deal. All, all things taken into account, free transfer, one-year contract. We know we've got other options when they're fit. So yeah, I, I, I don't see any issues with it as a signing. I think if we move back slightly to just what you, we were talking about, transitions and being transition heavy, one of the things that, that was a, been a big takeaway for me in in reading up about football and, and studying football is that Transitions are so important and there are sort of four aspects to a game that you can basically boil down any situation into four different categories. You've got a team being in attack, organized attack. You've got a team being an organized defense. And then you've got your two transitions from attack to defense and from defense to attack. And the, the large takeaway from it all is that basically those two transition phases are where you win and lose football games because when you're transitioning from defense to attack, it means your opponent has to be transitioning from attack to defense. And that's when they're at their most vulnerable. That's when players are out of position. That's when you see situations where, you know, a, a fullback is pushed, pinned right up by the, the opposition corner flag and has to cover all that ground to get back. Midfielders are out of position. And so I think that's the, the real importance. And it's something that we haven't really seen from Fulham, especially in the Premier League, really. And if you look at, at sort of Scott Parker days, he was almost... I wouldn't say, but anti-transition. And so I just wanted sort of your thoughts on, yeah, that importance of trying to catch teams when they're out of shape, but also now not being caught ourselves out of shape when opposition teams win the ball back. If you look at the team in comparison to Scott, this team feels tighter. It feels more robust and it feels like it has a plan. Um, I really like the fact that when we are transitioning away, you have people streaming past Mitrovic, whereas when we were under Scotty, when actually Mitrovic played, or if it was Ivan Cavallero, he they almost felt isolated. And especially in that attack phase, Fulham looked like a blunt knife. You know, we couldn't cut through anything at that point. Whereas I think this season, we we 
have a considerable goal threat. And it's not just because of Alexander Mitrovic, it's because we get players past him. And therefore, it allows Mitrovic to not worry about having to lay the ball. Well, he's already laid the ball off at this point, but it doesn't give him another worry other than just get in that box and make yourself a nuisance. I think that's great. But we're talking about that transition back into defensive shape. And I would like to highlight the partnership that Harrison Reed and Joao Palinha have in that they clearly just get each other and they have done since the first game of the season. They know when to drop in. They know when to sit deeper. And I think one thing that we really spoke about last year and as a running theme was that Harrison Reed was not in his best position as the eight. And this season, I actually think, credit to Jack, because Jack always maintained that this was going to be a plan for this season, in that we're now seeing everything that Harrison Reed brings to the table as an eight, that passing ability, but also the ability to drop in, be robust, be central, and just cover the middle ground. I think a lot of Premier League teams, we talk about the depth of the 10, but a lot of the Premier League teams actually have a midfielder that is capable of playing an eight and a 10. And just to to catch them and stop uh, everything at source is great. My one issue here is that if Paulinho continues to pick up yellow cards in the way that I continue to pick up KFC on my way home, then we're going to be in trouble here. Um, it's it's. Uh, I think Paulinho is absolutely the glue that holds this team together defensively and in attack. He has the ability to create play and the ability to stop play, more importantly. No, for sure. And as a pair, I think that's the key thing is that as good as Paulinho has been, it, it all comes as a pair with Harrison Reed and, and the fact that the two have, have done the same sort of job but differently and that 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 complements each other the way they do that is so important because you need both types of midfielder in there and there are many sides that have one but not the other and then that used to be Fulham as well and so having yeah, them you know, I, was working together, I was scared that that was going to be us for a while because you have Paulinho who's traditionally a bit of a DM and you have Harrison Reid who's a bit of a box-to-boxer and you were like oh God, we are going to be a little bit too open here. You know, is Palina going to be left in an island all by himself? But thankfully, it's turned out to not be that way at all. Yeah, That's great. No, it, it, it's been really promising to see how our, our midfield has set up so far this season. Just to, to move forward slightly and to sort of develop on this point of transitions, we got a, a question or, or more even an idea from Elizabeth Barnard from our Telegram community. And I thought it was a really good point and really interesting one to look into. There's been a sort of a lot of talk this season around our passing numbers and how low they are. They looked at it on match of the day. And it's the sort of the takeaway is that yes, they're low, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's important to look deeper and look into the context. So I've got some some numbers for you. Uh Fulham so far this season have both attempted and completed the fewest number of passes in the league. And that gives us the second lowest pass completion behind only Southampton. To put that into perspective, compared to last season, we're attempting and completing roughly 200 fewer passes a game. So that's a 40% reduction, which is huge. I mean, that, that, that completely puts into perspective the changes we're talking about. But where we have to then look for where the positive is, I had a little look into the types of passes we were playing. And now what you've got is the total distance that a ball is passed in the game. That's a stat that is logged. And alongside that, a stat that's logged is what direction those passes were played in. So of the total distance we've passed the ball, 39% 
of that distance has been what would be described as progressive. So the ball is going forward towards the opposition goal. Now, no other team has a higher percentage than that. So if we want to sort of put it crudely, we're a direct side. You know, we get the ball and we want to get it upfield. And I think this is exactly what we're talking about here about those transitions is that old Fulham maybe last season would have been looking to consolidate when they win the ball back, sort of dictate the tempo. And now, I mean, we're looking at 40%. So instead of making 10 passes to get where we want to, we're looking at making six. And that's a that's a big difference. And I think really does sum up how this style has changed. Absolutely. It's a complete shift in ideal from one style of play to another. I think if you looked at Fulham's passing map and progression maps from last season, you'd probably see a lot of arrows that pointed inwards or, or um, parallel. You know, there's a lot of passes that would be shifting round a team that was dropped back on the edge of their, their box. It's like we'd almost be trying to poke and prod and push them out of their shape before we try and uh, tackle them. This time, I think when you look at that pass map and progressiveness, as you spoke about, a lot of those passes are going to be just directly forward, straight arrows over long distances. And I think totally that's fine because it puts you in a dangerous position and it allows you to catch your position team out when they have no one at the back. And I think Fulham traditionally didn't have a team that was filled and blessed with a lot of pace, especially when we were in the Premier League the previous two times. I can't really think of anyone that had lightning pace in those Fulham teams, and that made it really difficult to transition. When you look at this team now, and you see them streaming forward, you have Andreas Pereira. I wouldn't say he's lightning quick, but he's definitely quicker than Tom Kearney, for example. You have the likes of now Dan James, you have Bobby Lefkowitz-Overreed, you have Neeson Skabani, you have Anthony Robinson, who I think... Given all of his haters last year has had a phenomenal start to this season. Again, one of these people that has really transitioned into a brilliant fullback uh, and really uses this directness to to his strength. And I think that's great. But to go back to your point, yeah, we're surrendering possession of play and some people might not like that. Some people might not like seeing Fulham on the back foot. And, and the risk element to these passes is also a lot higher as well. When you pass longer, there's more chance of it being intercepted there is more chance that the ball isn't just isn't going to connect. And yeah. there, there was a, um, a bit more of a tenuous link, but I always remember listening to Tim Vickery on World Football Phone when he says, and uh, he always uses a coach, I think it's uh, Gallardo, the, the Argentinian coach, that says if you, if you pass out the back long and quick, the chances are it's going to come back to you even quicker. But actually, I think Fulham are doing a great job of keeping that ball up there and making it stick where previously we haven't. Yeah. And I think this is where it's also important to make this distinction. And it's really interesting that you brought up Burnley because so did Joe, again, from our Telegram community. And this is where I find it interesting that direct doesn't by default mean long ball. So he wanted us, Joe wanted us to look at Burnley and see, you know, are we effectively morphing into this this side? And so I had a look at how their numbers compared across sort of the multiple seasons they were in the Premier League. And they have remarkably similar similar progressive stats. So roughly 39 to 40% of their pass distance was made up by progressive passes. However, if you look at their long passes, 40% of them were long. So all out of all their passes, 40% were going long. And that means passes that go over 30 yards. Compare this to Fulham, 
and that's 16%. And so that's really interesting because I think it perfectly depicts how you can be direct in different ways. You know, it, as you explained, we're, we're much more direct and we utilize the transitions more, but it, you don't want to use, I don't like using the ugly phrase, but it's not hoofball. You know, it, it's retaining sort of some of our, our key principles that we had last year. You know, you're looking at that eight slash 10. So Pereira this season, Carvalho last season, acting as your sort of drivers, getting us up the pitch, linking that midfield to attack. We've got our wing backs and our wingers who are using, getting crosses into the box, trying to supply Mitrovic. It's all of those sort of similar principles just at a quicker pace. And it's weird how you said Burnley have gone the opposite way because, yeah, I, I almost see you as what we've done as a devolution, but not in a bad way. We've basically just taken what was quite a complex system in terms of intricate passing football and simplified it and tried to make it as effective as possible in a division when, you know, we are going to struggle to go toe-to-toe against teams how we did last season. And so we do have to find this way to adapt. And I think Marcus Silva deserves a lot of credit for that. It's a streamlining of a tactic that worked for us last year, but actually it's just taking all the best bits of it and making sure that they're more of a focal point this year. I'd also like to see the carry statistics. I know you probably don't have them tanned and I'm not putting you on the spot, but I'd like to see the carry statistics between Fulham and Burnley because as you rightly pointed out, you have the likes of Pereira who are going to carry the ball through those transitional thirds, whereas Burnley were playing almost like this Graham Taylor science sort of play the margins game. Well, I distinctly remember watching Charlie Taylor and uh, I can't remember the right back's name, Loughton maybe? Yeah, Matthew Loughton. Pumping the ball in, down the channels and hoping that Dwight McNeil or Aaron Lennon could get on the end of them. You know, just a bit like... It's it's completely different to what we have. We have a formula where whereby we are finding these players, and if you look at Fulham now, it almost reminds me a little bit of Carlo Ancelotti's Christmas tree because you have so many players that is so tight around Mitrovic that going through the transitions is really easy for us. When you look at the goal specifically against Brighton, the Lewis the Lewis Duncan goal, the amount of players that are around Mitrovic then at that point, the amount of players that are are available for a pass. It, it it should have been something that Dunk could probably have dealt with very easily. But when you have that many players coming towards you, they're all this way and that way. They're making diagonal runs. It's almost like route running in the NFL. Like, how has he meant... That is why he's, like, made that mistake because he doesn't know where anyone is. He doesn't know where Mitrovic is and, and he's panicking. And that is what Fulham are trying to do now. They're trying to invoke panic during, during a transition. I think that that's something that we've never seen from these until, you know, we've now got Marco Silva's tricky whites. And again, really? even more excitement for when we do see the return of, of Harry Wilson and Manuel Solomon, who I think almost especially Manuel Solomon, who is a very, very good dribbler of the ball. And if he can bring that sort of directness to this team, which I think he will, it's going to cause even more panic in opposition teams when we drive forward, which I think is is really exciting. That hopefully, you know, we'd hope this side of the, the World Cup, but I mean, even if it's next side, we've still got, what, 22 games left to go, maybe maybe more than that, depending on how these these fixture postponements go. But if we... Uh, if we stop there and we, we shift on a little bit to the other aspect that comes with transition football and that I see it as pressures, as, as applying pressure to the opposition team, you know, in order to win the ball back in, in transition phases, in general, you've got to be harrying and harassing 
your opposition to try and win it back. And so we looked into that. And remarkably, Fulham have applied the most number of pressures in the Premier League this season, which I think is nuts because that puts us above Leeds. And whilst this isn't Bielsa's Leeds, this is Jesse Marsh, Red Bull, Leeds. So, it, I mean, it's the, the, these similar sort of principles of this high octane football. And, and we're outperforming that in terms of pressures, which is, I, I couldn't believe when I looked into it. I mean, you can see it on the pitch, but to see it translate into numbers is incredible. And whilst it is a, an effect of having less possession, you know, if you don't have the ball as much, which we haven't this season, you are going to be by default putting more pressure on the opposition because you don't have the ball. But I think it's interesting when you look at where we're doing our pressing across the pitch. So if you break it into thirds, you've got your defensive midfield and attacking thirds. We're doing a lot more work in our defensive third than most teams in the league. And I think part of that is due to playing top six sides. And so if you look at the Brentford, Brighton and Wolves games, you know, we were a little bit further up the pitch. However, it does seem that we're setting up a lot deeper this season especially compared to last season, but deeper than most teams in the league as well. And so I guess, I mean, from my perspective, I see that partially as a way of dragging our opponents towards us a little bit and creating just that bit more space in behind. But I don't know what you thought about in terms of how deep Fulham is sitting and then looking to win the ball back in those sort of areas, what your thoughts were on it. The Bielsa style of pressing was almost pressing without much of a uh, system and rigidity. And this is from a big Bielsa fan. I thought his Leeds team were really interesting to watch, but at times it felt like headless chickens for a while. And that's why they were so easy to cut through. Whereas I feel like we are pressing with a plan. It's clearly we're trying to funnel players into the middle of midfield because that's where we know that our powerhouses are. That's where we know Pereira is. That's where we know Harrison Reed is. That's where we know where Paulinho is. They are going to be the guys that are going to break up all the attacks. And also it starts to funnel um, players away from areas where we can be hurt from wide positions. And I think that that's one thing. Although Kenny Tete and Nancy Robinson have proved their metal Premier League level this season, it's often a place where teams in the Premier League will overload. And you'll see multiple runners in wide areas because they know a cutback cross or some sort of cross is going to be harmful. But Fulham are trying to funnel people into the middle of the pitch. It's very difficult to make something happen in a congested pitch. And I think that there is some merit to those numbers when you say that a lot of the pressures are coming in the middle and the, and the defensive third. Worryingly, I did see a stat from the other 14, uh, a great account on Twitter the other day. Fantastic, um, yeah. That say that Fulham are also by far and away the highest, the team with the highest number of opposition touches in their own box. So I think that whilst there is a there is a plan and and high pressures is great, clearly a lot of the pressures that we are applying are, are coming almost too late. And there could be an underlying sort of theory that Fulham are allowing too many chances or too much into our box. Um, but that being said, I think that we're genuinely quite robust. And I think that a lot of those touches in our box are probably through unforced errors and communication. I think we'll probably go on to talk about Tim Ream in the second half of this podcast. But um, there is an element to, to communication between him and Tosin where uh, I can remember a few times where uh, the opposition have just walked into the box because they don't seem to be able to communicate to each other. However, yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, it's really nice to see Fulham 
pressing high and making these errors, uh, making the other teams have errors, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it's a really interesting point you make about trying to funnel teams inside. And I think this might have been a, a reason why our poorest game so far this season was was against Spurs. I think everyone's in agreement that that's sort of the the worst we've looked this season without meaning to be harsh. And it was raised by Nick Gale again from our Telegram community who who sent this question in. Why Why did we look worse and why why was our pressing not working as well and i think this is this is part of it is that the spurs system of wingers and wing backs means that if you're trying to funnel a team inside they're going to have that extra man that pops up as the wing back and that was ryan sessignon for the majority of that game so as much as we tried to keep the play in central areas the ball inevitably ended up on that left wing because ryan sessignon was always providing that extra bit of width but i also think that our, our pressing numbers were low in that game. You know, they were lower, the lowest out of any game we've played this season. And that went hand in hand, I think, with the fact that it was also the highest possession we've had this season. We had more of the ball, which meant there was less opportunities to press the opposition. And this is where I want your opinion on, on whether this is an issue, because whilst, you know, you look at the Liverpool game and you look at Brighton and Brentford, where we were out of possession quite a lot and we pressed them and harried them and beat them on the counter. There are teams in this league like Spurs who don't fancy having a lot of possession and Conte doesn't set his teams up to have that amount of possession. So do you see that as an issue that, you know, we are going to struggle playing this system one against teams that aren't that interested in passing the ball around and and in retaining possession, but also two against teams who are going to add even more width when you include wingbacks? I think the Conte system is something that immediately unravels what we're trying to do. I think um, there's so many opportunities when you when you play the three four three that Conte does. There are so many triangles. There's overloads in wide areas, but also tends to play with two players really close to Harry Kane. And Harry Kane is absolutely the best player in this league, in my opinion, right now. Um, maybe with Kevin De Bruyne, but. Um, yeah, it's very difficult to stop a player of that quality creating chances. And you see Harry Kane's movement. It is insane. He is not just a centre-forward that sits on the centre-halves. He will drop into midfield. He has a passing range of a, of, a, of a midfielder that has, you know, played for 15 or 20 years. And I think that when we have had the ball a little bit more, I think we have looked slightly less effective. I think the, the game against Wolves was was clearly two teams that did not want the ball. Um, and that's, that's why the quality was so, so bad. Um, and yeah, I think that when we have the ball a little bit more, we're going to have to be a little bit more decisive with our passing style. Um, and we're going to have to try and force overloads where we're not comfortable doing that. And I think there's going to be a question that comes into what are we going to be like? Are we uh, are we going to have to start dominating more games against the lesser teams? I think there definitely is an element to that. There's going to be teams that get a significant amount of tape on Fulham and then come to the cottage or set up at home really deep and just say, you have the ball and try and do it. And you know, that reminds me of when teams tried to play Spurs a couple of years ago. You know, when Spurs would just like give Spurs the ball and they have no clue what to do with it. They can't unlock anything. Whereas now they're great at doing that when they don't have the ball. I think we're going to have to transition into 
into what we did last season. We were going to have to pick teams apart. And that's where we're going to have to start to utilise players like Tom Kearney because he has the vision. He has that silky style. And we're going to have to utilise players like Harry Wilson. Uh, and I think that those two coming back and playing a more prominent part in Fulham could really help us in those games. But yeah, it's going to be a tough one. And when teams start to figure us out a little bit more, like Spurs did, um, that Fulham may may have to struggle to adapt. But I think on the whole, we're going to be fine. There are there are so many teams now that have used a pep blueprint of trying to keep possession as much as possible that I think by and large, Fulham are going to come up against teams that want to do that. And I think we'll, we'll add a little bit more, more flavour to that uh, in the second part. So I think this is a perfect time to take a quick break. And when we return, we will have a little look at two particularly standout players so far this season and then wrap up with a little bit more of a look forward. So see you in a bit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Whiteboard Special. I'm Dan Cook and I'm joined by Professor Ben Jarman. Hello, Ben. Daniel. As I said before the break, we were going to have a look at a couple of our standout players this season. And the first one I want to start with because... I am in love. Uh, I think a few of us were very excited about this signing. I know me, you, and, and Jack Collins from the Fulhamish team were definitely very excited when this one happened over the summer. Joao Polina. I mean, it, it's a style of player that we've lacked for quite a long time, I would say. And one, I guess, depending on how you set up in the championship, maybe isn't the most important. You know, we, we, we noticed that we were missing it last season, but by and large, we got by pretty okay without one. In the Prem, we've been desperate for a quality holding midfielder. And Polina's come in and I think we're all just infatuated. I mean, he's been incredible. Yeah, if you look at him, his, 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 all of his work really goes out of possession. Like His defensive output is insane. You're looking at a man who's made the most tackles in the league and applied the most pressures, 10 more than anyone else, which is, is ridiculous. He just does all of this work out of possession. He seems to love it as well. Like he seems to, This is what he seems to live for, is getting out onto the pitch and just breaking up play. And I think he's a huge reason as to why I think we've started so well. And I just wanted some words from you on our, our Portuguese midfield man. He is insanely good. Insanely good. I just remember when he signed, I was just like, this is an insane coup for us. What a, what a player this guy is. I mean, Sporting won the league a couple of years ago and Joao Palinha was, was at the heart of that and he won so many plaudits and I'm, 
there's an element to this where there's a bit of confusion as to why he didn't go a little bit earlier and how he didn't end up at someone better. But that's all the better for us. As you say, someone that has led the league in tackles, leads the league in pressures, and for us is the absolute like wheelhouse in the in the middle of, of Fulham uh, Fulham system. I think that he is going to be the part that knits the whole team together. And also, there is an element to to Joao Palinha that is overlooked in that he's a great playmaker with a wonderful passing arc, and I think that he. He is exactly what we've been looking for, as you rightly said in, in a little intro to him, for a number of years. You know, I think there's a lot of our fan base that loved Mario Lamina and thought that Mario Lamina would, could come back and, and do that job and, and we'd be fine. But Joao Palina is three, four, five tiers above what Mario Lamina can do in terms of his output and in terms of his quality. And I think... You know, well, it makes me really excited because if we set up this year, imagine the players that we can get around Palinia and Im- imagine how good that midfield could be. You know, because it's good now, like really good. And we obviously are being able to compete at a Premier League level. But you imagine what this midfield could look like one, two, three years into the future. It's really, really exciting. And, pa- and Joao Palinia is that keystone to, to what Fulham want to do. Yeah, well, we've got a fantastic core developing here and it has been I mean it's something we've said over the the past two Premier League seasons but if you just give us you know give us one season and stay in and look what we can do from there because there's the potential to do great things you know we know that we're likely going to have the budget to to strengthen uh, and, and I'll be interested to see if we do strengthen again in January because as you touched on earlier and this is Definitely a negative that goes towards Joao Palinha. And it's, I, I, I don't want it to be taken badly because I think there's always room for criticism and, and negatives, even if someone is playing really well. But the rate at which he accumulates yellow cards is absolutely incredible. It's really impressive. A four from six is really good going. Uh, and in fairness, Scott McTominay is keeping up with him at the moment. But I think it does have to be said, and we all know that you look five get five yellow cards, you're looking at a game ban. But if you look beyond that, you're going 10 yellows, two game ban, 15 yellows, three game ban. And at this rate, he's going to absolutely smash through 15 yellow cards. And if he does, I mean, that's 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 potentially six games out just due to yellow cards alone. And you're not taking into account a, a red card here or there. He's pretty rough in some challenges, which I love, but you know, sometimes that can go wrong. And this is where I wonder if January does see us make another investment because currently Marco Silver is is believing and trusting in Nat Chalaba to be the Joao Polina replacement. But I'm not entirely sure if he is that sort of player. I think I see Nat as, as a little bit different to Polina. And I don't, I don't know what you think. No, no, no. I know exactly where you're coming from. I, I think that Nat Chalaba just, to sum it up, he's just not that guy. He's not as mobile. He can't use the ball anywhere near as well. I think that this is a guy similar to Josh Honor, actually, who's picked up a number of injuries and now looks like he's paying at 90% all the time because he's worried about getting injured again. But yeah, that is my fear, is that as soon as Joao Palinho picks up any sort of suspension, that we're going to have to have Natty Chabs and Harrison Reed as our pivots. And Reed, not worried about whatsoever. Chabs, definitely am. Um, and I think that, that is a source of investment that we we should be picking up in January. Um, there isn't 
A lot of people will point to the free agents market, but it's not very deep in central midfield at the moment um, at all. Uh, and I don't think there's many people that Fulham would pick up and you know could could achieve Premier League standard. Yeah, I think the only the only one I'd, I'd maybe be interested in, uh, and this is a, a I don't know what you think, but if you're looking at potentially a, a Jason Denea, who is someone who can play at centre back and in holding midfield. I wonder if that's something that you can use just to plug a gap. Yeah, I don't. That's the thing that's sort of confused me is how Jason Denea is still a free agent all these I know. all these months later. Is it the fact that he's got a glaring injury that no one's managed to pick up on? Is he, you know, looking for absurd wages? But he's come from Lyon, so I can't imagine that he is looking for a huge amount of wage. And it, he's a guy that I think, yeah, you could quite easily plug in and play. And for someone that you could offer a one year. Minimal deal. It's in the same fit as Willian, actually, where it's just sort of like low risk, potentially high reward. I think that's fine. Um, and he's come from the city tree where he's had to he's had to play multiple systems before. And as you say, he's also played in midfield. Um, not forgetting that he's still starting centre-half for Belgium, which is probably just more of a reflection on the fact that Belgium's golden generation <laughs> has gone out with a bit of a whimper recently. <laughs> And it's interesting. I just had a quick look, and he, you know, he was he's been linked with Wolves, he's been linked with Aston Villa, and one rumor is that teams aren't necessarily willing to spend as much on wages as they are as as, as Denea wants, basically. But I, I just wonder if you're looking at if you can tie someone down to a year long contract. I think it's almost just worth whatever they want to a to a reasonable extent because that's not causing too much financial hardship and if you look at the players that we've got off the wage bill i think there's probably space there probably is also there's going to be a point where Danea just wants to play football ahead of the world cup so you're going to be able to get him in a position where you just offer him a deal and say you either take it or you leave it and i don't think that that's a, a negative for fulham at all and i think he's a useful useful addition because you look at Diop so far, he's kind of flattered to deceive and Shane Duffy is Shane Duffy. <laughs> I'm not allowed to speak about Shane Duffy anymore and we don't speak about why. Um, so I yeah. think this, this brings it on brings it on nicely if we, we move on from Polina and we've spoken about a holding midfielder who can also play at centre-back. Tim Ream. Now, this came from from Matt Littlejohn, this question, uh, who quite rightly said that Tim Ream's been excellent so far this season. And I completely agree. I think he's been brilliant. However, the majority of US men's national team football experts don't have him in their team for the World Cup. They cite that Fulham have played a very deep line this year, that he's not very quick, and in general doesn't really defend on the front foot. Now, those are all valid points, and I think they all make sense. But he has also just been so good this year. I've been so impressed. And there, again, numbers to back this up. But he's made five more interceptions than anyone else in the entire league. And so that's that's 25, and the next highest is 20. And in second place is actually his, his compatriot, Anthony Robinson. But remarkably, he's also won every single one of his aerial duels. He's had 13 aerial duels. He's won them all, which I don't think anyone could have guessed that for someone who is not necessarily, I mean, not at all in general, you don't see as an aerially dominant centre-back. But why I think this links really nicely to Palina is because I think this double pivot that we've been speaking about is a large reason as to why we're seeing the best from Tim Reid this season. And I'm not trying to take credit away from him 
it's just I think that having this protection really does play to his strengths. You know, we did a, a segment on the whiteboard last season on YouTube about how Tim Ream and Tosin are both guilty of sort of diving into tackles and leaving us a bit exposed. And we said that one cause of that was the lack of midfield protection. And so now that we've got that protection, it, it leaves Tim Ream with the ability to just focus on reading the game. And that's what I think he's really best at and why I think at times as well, he's looked better than Tosin has. Because you're looking at the vast amount of experience that Tim Ream has. And also, because he's not really a physical defender, he's had to hone and really work on this reading of the game to be the best he can. And so I think that translates again to this stat about interceptions. You know, he doesn't have to worry as much about dealing with a man running straight at him, having to engage. He can basically just disengage and focus on on tracking runners, cutting off supply lines, and basically just being in charge of the back four. And I think he's really good at that. And so this is where I think it's interesting that that you said about these sort of communication issues between the two. And I just, I wonder if this is a, a symptom basically of because they're not as actively involved in defending anymore, we're seeing Tim Ream play better and be more comfortable and Tosin have a slight drop-off. Potentially, I think it's a really good theory. Um, there's just a couple of things that pop, like come to mind on that, is that there's a couple of instances in the Brighton game, and there's been a couple of instances in other games, particularly at home, where Ream and Tosin have almost run into each other. And... One of them has had to hook the ball away at the last minute. You think that this is a pairing who have been playing together for, I'd say, pretty much you know the majority of the last two seasons. Um, a pairing that should know each other inside out by now and have played in multiple styles of football, as you say. You've got the transitional style we play now and you have the, the possession-heavy style. And I, I totally agree with the point you made in the first half. You get rid of Mika Seri and you put in Joao Palinha and that therefore becomes a huge curtain that you know is, Tim is able to sort of sit behind and play his natural game. And I think that you've seen this from Fulham as well, is that they don't leave centre-halves on an island anymore. There is, a, as I said, millions of times in this first segment, there's a robustness to Fulham's midfield now. Um, and, and we are funneling people into that midfield because we trust them. Um, and I think that, as you rightly say, it's allowed Tim to play his natural game. And his natural game is someone that reads the game incredibly well. He's able to dictate sequences of play in his head, He's able to read when things happen. And I think the aerial thing is is great. It shows his athleticism. Um, and I think that he he definitely has that prowess in terms of playing out of the back and his ability to make those interceptions. Also, is a reflection on the fact that, as we said earlier, Fulham are applying those pressures later in the game and late, later in the half. But tying it back to the US national team, I think there's a little bit of a transition there. There... Their manager wants a younger team. He wants a more mobile team and he wants them to play on the front foot. It's not exactly a, a national team that is short of talent at the moment. We're seeing players crop up and come through all over the world. There's a significant uh, American presence throughout Europe. You've seen a couple of their centre-halves that are playing in France, a couple of the centre-halves that play out in Belgium. You have centre-halves that play now for Leeds United. Um, one up in Scotland and you, then you have this staple of the MLS um, as well so I think there, there are certainly depth options for, for the national team and Tim was actually being used up to probably about a year ago and it seems to have dropped off I think that, that you're also seeing this for, 
for staples of the men's national team in the past as well. You're seeing John Brooks isn't really being called up all that much just yet. Um, also, uh, Matt Miazga, if you remember him from four four two days and uh, those various loans away from Chelsea, hasn't been called up for a, for a long time either. So I think they're really transitioning away from that. They're using the likes of Walker Zimmerman, who who plays for, if memory serves me right, uh, it's Nashville, who's yes. who's one of the expansion teams in in the US, and he's their captain. Uh, and you also have Aaron Long, who plays for New York Red Bulls, and actually Aaron Long was what meant to be one of those guys that was going to transition to another one of the Red Bull teams but never really did so yeah I think there's a reason why Tim isn't being called up and I think it's because Greg Bauhalter wants a more front foot or mobile team but actually the benefit to that is it gives Tim a, a month off to recover and recoup and hopefully just go again yeah no I think I think that's that's spot on the the problem for Tim is basically he can both be excellent this season and also not be picked for the World Cup. And it's not a slight on him. It's just maybe if you're looking at the two styles of football, us versus the US men's national team at the moment, they don't match and they don't play to his strengths. And where it's a problem for Tim Ream, it's probably a really useful thing for Fulham because if you're looking at a 35-year-old centre-back, a month off around November and December sounds really lovely and I think he could do with it because if we get you know by the time we get to to mid-November if he keeps playing he's, he's going to be ready for a break so I think that's it's it's very valid point from Matt and I can understand why he wants to fight the corner of Tim Ream and he wants you know his our captain to be called up and be at the World Cup and and it would be a nice way for Tim Ream to sort of almost sign off is the, the the main part of his career, but I also I can understand why it's not happening. Right, finally to close up. Now we 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 touched upon this slightly in the first part. Then we've we've obviously had a bit of an extended break at the moment, and and that might be potentially working in Fulham's favour when you consider that it's giving us time for Anthony Robinson to recover. It gives us more time for the for the deadline day signings to get settled. And as we mentioned, it's it's probably one. Who knows what's going to happen with Forrest, but maybe two fewer games that we have to manage without either of Harry Wilson and Manuel Solomon. But looking ahead, and if we, we go with the fact that the Forrest game will go ahead, it's a huge game. It's massive. Uh, and Forrest have struggled this season. We all know what they've done in the transfer market, and we know that they're still going to be in the relegation mix, regardless of how much money they spent and how many players they brought in. And it feels like those that sort of game where if we're not winning, we really can't afford to lose this one. And so this is this is going to be a sort of a, a two-pronged question to you. But this is the first team I think really we're coming up against Forest where we can categorically say that we, we are just a better team. And and that might be a a biased thing to say, and that might be with my Fulham hat on, but I look across the pitch and I think we are just a better team. And with that, with this being a game that we really should be winning. Do we have to adapt and do we go out and try and dominate this game as we would dominate games in the championship? You know, do we see a reversion to that single pivot uh, and see us try and, and hold onto the ball more and be that championship winning Fulham? Or do we just focus on being defensively sound and are looking to hurt Forrest in those transitions? And if that's the case, is that something we just try and do all season? Do we just say, Right, we are just going to focus on being as drilled in this specific system as we can possibly be. And there'll be games where it's not suited, but by and large, it will get us through the season. 
Forest is, is definitely the one that is the trickiest one because although you would probably say we're not really in any danger of being relegated right now, it almost feels like a relegation six point at this early on in the season. It's a direct rival and if we can take three points off them, then we're over that magic sort of like third of the way threshold towards those 30-odd points. And that's great. We all know what Forest have done in the, in the market and, you know, a lot of signings there, but looking through their squad now, other than potentially Remo Freuler, Emmanuel Dennis, Omar Richards, and maybe Lingard, there's not too many players there that I'm actually scared about. And actually, the fact that they've gone out and made so many signings is really to paper over the cracks that the poor squad management had left them with in the first place. Um, I think there's an element to Forest where you kind of don't know what you're going to get right now because when you have 21 players joining a squad, you know it's going to be impossible to make those get those players gelled. And actually, them having this week off may be a bit of a blessing in disguise because it means that they can just all sit on the training pitch and, and do what they can. But I think Steve Cooper is a manager in the past that has given Fulham some issues. Or we definitely saw that last year when Fulham played Forest and. Forest were cruising their way up to um, the playoffs um, and Fulham were sort of stumbling and bumbling their way to the title. And I think that actually it was two squads that were in completely different frames of mind where Fulham almost felt like they had it wrapped up in a big gold bow on the top of it. And Forest were sort of like, we're the underdogs, we need to get over that line. Um, that being said, I think it's going to be one of those games where it might be similar to Wolves in that both of the teams don't particularly want to have the ball that much. So you might see them poking and prodding each other until the last 15 minutes and then all hell breaks loose. But both of them realise that they need to go and try and get three points. I think Fulham are going to have to be able to adapt to this in games. And I think that there have been signs of it already where, where we have wanted to get our foot on the ball a bit more. You see the inclusions of Tom Kearney coming in. I think the Brentford game is is one of those where the game seems to be getting away from us a little bit. Tom came back in and we started to hold the ball and his ability to recycle the ball uh, eventually led to us making that choice, that chance for Mbabu to, uh, to tee up Mitrovic for that last-minute winner. Um, so I think, yeah, uh, the Forest game is going to be a bit of a nuts one. The rest of the season-wise, I think that you're going to see Fulham play two main systems. One where we are very transition heavy, we look to break a pace, and two, if we need to, that introduction of Tom Kearney to try and hold the ball a bit more. Yeah, I find it hard to to disagree with that. And I think whilst we would love, and I'm sure fans as well, other other fans would love to see us sort of swashbuckling, you know, passing, passing teams into oblivion and, and just going out and dominating games like we did in the championship, we also have to acknowledge we are not going to put seven past anyone this year, let alone do it three times. So we, we, you know, there needs to be that compromise. And I think Marcus Silver at the moment has got a, a good balance with it. And again, you know, if we, we look really far forward, this is something that, that is putting the building blocks in place. And we've seen it with other Premier League teams in your first season, your main priority is just stay up. And then from there, you can start to evolve a bit and start to become a bit more adventurous. But for now, it's very much basics, keep it solid uh, and and try and just go out and do whatever you can to win games. And I think Marco Silva at the moment is nailing that. Yeah, I mean, I hate to bring up the lot from down the road, but it's exactly what Brentford did last season. They went from that swashbuckling, we'll pass and we'll move and we'll get through players like a hot knife through butter to this 
okay, we're going to play five at the back. We'll keep it nice and tight, and we'll get players, and we'll get Tony, and we'll get Mbwemo involved on the counter because that's what we need to do to win games. What are we doing this season? Moving away from swashbuckling players where we have 800 passes a game and 80% possession to all the way down to 39, 35% possession, half of the passes, but we're still getting points. And I think that's fine. And the, the big thing here is you talk about the bigger picture and the building blocks is that we know that we can play that style of football again in the future. And we know that we have a manager in there that could formulate that style of football. And at the moment, it's just a necessity. It is playing a certain way to keep you in a division. Then you then you blossom out into into better team. You know, I think there's been a, a couple of instances for that over the years. I think Southampton did it when they first came up. They started to play. They're a bit more tactically adept. I mean, now they. I would don't think we want to be Southampton. To be honest with you, it's so irrational and irrelevant. Um, that's that side, but I think Brighton also did it. They they held firm, and now they've developed a style of play. You know, it's such a shame to see Potter going, almost tarnish his reputation for me, but for going to manage Chelsea. But you know, if it is what it is, if you're going to be a manager that's managed in the fourth division of Swedish football, and you get the opportunity to go and manage one of the biggest clubs in in the world, you're going to take it. But I think Brighton are are a good blueprint to have for Fulham. Yeah, definitely. And he's hoping that this performance that, that Marcus Silva is currently putting in over this season and also last season doesn't get too many suitors because I think we would like to very much build a project with this man. So uh, I think that wraps it up quite nicely. Thank you very much for joining me, Ben. Thank you very much for having me, mate. It's been a long time away and I felt like I finally need to, to talk football because the people over here, no offence to Canadians, all of them incredibly lovely people. They can't talk football and I can't talk hockey. So it's a nice mediation to get on here every now and again with you. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, it reminds me of uh, someone at work this week who pretends to be a Chelsea fan and they uh, thought that Ted Lasso was becoming their new manager. They didn't realise it was a joke. So I imagine that's something similar to how you're feeling over in Canada at the moment. Uh Thank you very much for listening, everyone, to this whiteboard special. It's been an absolute pleasure to record it. I hope you have a great week. If the Forest game is on, there will be a Thursday pod coming out, so look out for that one. But otherwise, enjoy the week and come on, you whites. Whiteboard.